Welcome to React Roundup. I am your host, Jack Harrington, this week, and with me are my esteemed co-panelists, Paige Niederinghouse. Hey, everybody. And TJ Van Tull. Hey, everyone. All right. Very cool. So before we get into this week's episode, I'd once again like to invite everybody to jump onto the Discord server and jump into our Discord channel. It's linked to in the show notes. And yeah, just ask us any questions you want or have any comments about what we talk about. Been talking about ham and pineapple pizza lately. So, (laughs) you know, things like, yeah, it's it's not even a debate. I'm in. I'm in. I'm sold. You sold me on it. All right. So, yeah, join in the fun. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been working on actually building out Top End Devs. If you're interested, you can go to topendevs.com slash podcast and you can actually hear a little bit more about my story, about why I'm doing what I'm doing with Top End Devs why I changed it from uh, devchat.tv to Top End Devs. But what I really want to get into is that I have decided that I'm going to build the platform that I always wished I had with devchat.tv. And I renamed it to Top End Devs because I want to give you the resources that are going to help you to build the career that you want, right? So whether you want to be an influencer in tech, whether you want to go and just max out your salary and then go live a lifestyle with your family, your friends, or just traveling the world or whatever, I, I want to give you the resources that are going to help you do that. We're going to have career and leadership resources in there, and we're going to be giving you content on a regular basis to help you level up and max out your career. So go check it out at topendevs.com. If you sign up before my birthday, that's December 14th. If you sign up before my birthday, you can get 50% off the lifetime of your subscription. Once again, that's topendevs.com. Okay, so this week, we do not have a guest, but we are going to be talking about the, I would say, it's a big word, ancillary skills associated with web development. And uh, we'll just kind of throw in our thoughts on these things. And I'll, I'll kick us off that uh, I think a really important thing for React devs to learn outside of just React is really in, get into CSS. I've seen a lot of folks get, uh, you know, try to use the components too much and they don't learn like what's underneath them, like things like learn Flexbox layout, grid layout, learn all the different ways that you can do layout in CSS. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Learn animations because I think people jump right, right into things like remotion when you, when, <laughs> when all you want to do is like a fade, you know, there's, there's <laughs> decent CSS animations out there, oftentimes built into the, CSS frameworks that have no name like Tailwind. <laughs> and then also uh, media queries, things like, yes. you know, just uh, make sure that you understand like how to just do a native media query because the, the framework is basically doing all of that for you. And if it doesn't do that for you, then there's no reason to co- go and bring in a whole bunch of stuff. You just use, use some basic CSS. So just mm-hmm. understanding those kind of things. Is another basic, how about just display block versus inline versus oh inline gosh, yes. block? Just like, yes. it's amazing how often that comes up and how mm-hmm. lots of times beginners just don't even understand the the concept of what those are even doing as yeah. well. Yeah, yeah. Kind of related to Flexbox. Yeah. It's great when you can take a component library like Bootstrap or Ant Design or Chakra or any of those libraries and kind of use it as a starting point. But I can guarantee you at least, at the very least, you're going to want to change the colors to <laughs> match whatever your site's colors are, or your brand color if you're working for a company. And most likely your designers are not going to want to do whatever the defaults are for those components. Even if you've got 
nice looking drop downs and text boxes and whatever, you're almost guaranteed that margins and padding and text link colors and all these buttons will be different than what is available out of the box. So knowing how to style those and change what they look like, if not build them from scratch, is, I would say, critical to anybody who wants to be a front-end developer. Totally. And if you're using like a CSS preprocessor, like SAS mm-hmm. or LESS or whatever, like when you jump onto the project and, you, and you're starting to say, oh, I'm going to do front-end in this project, and you see that, just just spend a little bit of time learning it, learning all the little commands, because they have things in um, baked into most of those frameworks, like lighten, darken, all that kind of stuff, so that you can make relative colors you know and then you when you have like your base color set right and then you have like a bunch of oh well this just needs to be darker contrast so instead of like literally hard coding the hex value you actually oh no that's that value but darken and then and then when you you can can change it in one place and boom and they all do this Mm -hmm. and i think even to take a step further back my probably my biggest css tip is for people to just just take css seriously I think <laughs> yes. lots of times JavaScript developers will just look at JavaScript as the real code and CSS is something that you kind of have to throw together and just once it looks good, great, but don't they don't think about why what's happening is actually happening. They don't treat it as actual code that needs to be reviewed and cleaned up and whatnot. And just in general, I feel like if you take it seriously, you'll start to learn some of the underlines of how it works. You'll get less frustrated with it over time. Uh, you'll, just be more capable at what you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a big sign that you're going to get whipsawed around by CSS is if you get a lot of bugs on your code about responsive. Like, oh, this yeah. works great on desktop, but on <laughs> but on laptop, on on phone, it looks like terrible. And you're like, I don't know. I just took the stuff that the designer gave me, the CSS, and I just smushed it in there. I don't know how it works. Like, <laughs> don't blame me. Like, you don't want to be that person. You know, you want to be the person who's like, okay, or or, or upfront does it right. <laughs> so another thing that I would throw in as something that you should know that is not necessarily React or JavaScript focused is how to write automated tests. Mm-hmm. Because this is this is one of those things that a lot of people are resistant to testing, but as we get more, you know, as we get further along in web development, it just becomes more and more of a requirement. You have to be able to write unit tests, integration tests, end-to-end tests, one one of those, many of those, some combination of them, and being able to figure out how to set up a testing framework and then actually use it and test the things that you want to is pretty much a requirement today, like I was saying. So get familiar, even if it is just writing a few tests with how to go about selecting a framework, how to set it up in an existing project, how to what kind of syntax it needs, because it's probably going to be something that you will either need to provide as part of your build process in in a company, or it'll be one of your steps in in your build pipeline. So, you know, just just get familiar with it. It's it's going to only help you. It's going to save your butt. Exactly. (laughs) The question, I'm sure we could talk all day about which EDE, you know, whether it's Cypress or whatever, you know, which EDE framework to use. But I guess my question is for you, what, how would you, how much do you EDE and how much do you unit test? So I, I follow the testing pyramid, which is, has been established, I think, by multiple people at this point, but it's basically end to end tests are the, the things that I write the fewest of, but they're the most comprehensive tests because they 
are supposed to go from the time that a user starts using your application to the time that they're done and it and all the things that they can do in between. But typically, there's only a few of those because they take the longest to run. And then unit and integration tests kind of are the things that I write a lot more of, but they cover a lot more of the edge cases that you would see mm. for particular mm-hmm. in interactions between various components. So that's where you would test things like, does this error occur when, you know, when I pass in a bad value, does this error message get triggered? Or when I render this component, are are all of these buttons visible or things like that? So very much the big, heavy, expensive tests of end-to-end, I write the fewest of, and then the integration tests, which run quickly and they're headless and, you know, need a lot less in the way of setup, I tend to write the most of. Mm-hmm. I think, too, with any of those sorts of setups, the more you can automate, the better, because you want to put yourself in a situation where writing tests is convenient so that you actually do it versus if it's a painful process, you're going to be less likely to do it, ship without your tests and and whatnot. So any automation you can add is is definitely a plus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the trick is you don't want to get to the point of like 100% coverage, though, because then, you know, your your application becomes so stiff. That it's really hard to make even minor changes and, and have it still work. And I, and the other caveat I put in is kind of don't use the snapshotting. I know it's super easy, but oh, like yeah. to snapshot, you know, some dialogue or something and you snapshot the text in the dialogue. And then your boss is like, Hey, we want to change, you know, an and to an, uh, you know, an a, a whatever. And like next thing you know, you're like breaking unit tests on mm-hmm. and, and, and they're like, no, this is not good. Man, you can't break the build on that. That's crazy. I feel like knowing what to test and what to not test is very much mm-hmm. an art that mm-hmm. there's definitely good stuff you can read on it, but some of it is just you have to experience, like you have to write flaky tests to identify flaky tests. <laughs> yeah. Cause because Jack, clearly you've written that test before. Like I can tell oh, yeah. that, that, oh, that, yeah. that was, oh, yeah. that was not a hypothetical like, story. I'm lazy. I'm lazy as hell. It's like, oh yeah, snapshot. That sounds great. Let's do that. Like I don't know, you know, yeah. but then you know, re- you realize that like, yes, now your code's at 100 percent unit test coverage, but like, uh, but wait a second, when these tests break, it has, tells me nothing. It literally like, yeah, this test broke. Okay, well, why did it break? Well, it's, it's, the test is basically test snapshot and you're like well oh so yeah you should really just go in and make sure that like instead of using the snapshot go in and test the specific things that Mm -hmm. you really care about like did this data value get computed and put on there you know in some place you know like did you calculate the total of the the cart or whatever it is you know that that's the test like Mm -hmm. all of the little like did the css values like the munging css class names equal no right who cares right you know there's a different there's a whole different thing for like ede tests that that do visual comparisons which is like a whole weird area yeah that that's still that whole visual regression testing Mm. stuff is something i've never gotten into it seems useful and i've definitely seen where it could have been helpful when stuff has gotten really really wrong looking but it's also something that i don't really want to get into (laughs) I'd love to have a guest on sometimes that really knows that and could like walk us all through it. Like, hey, here's how to do this in a way that is not nuts. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of nuts, I can transition to my <laughs> to my the first one that came to mind for me, which is DNS, because oh. I I feel like that's a topic that 
as a React developer, you don't have to know every day, but knowing some background of how it works. And I could even expand that to like DNS and just HTTP in general, mm-hmm. the, like the basics of how that works, how requests work, how different things like A records work is not something that's going to come up necessarily day to day, but having some background on there is super handy. Uh, like if you need to spin up something quick, having an idea of how that works, how that works with hosting providers can be just a handy, handy little skill to have. That used to be a classic interview question. Like how does that, when the user hits your link or your, your URL, yeah. like give me every step to the server and back. And, Mm -hmm. you know, down to like the DNS stuff. It can come in handy. Like when you're trying, even when you're trying to debug a problem and you want to know what layer the problem is happening at, just knowing the basics of how requests flow around the internet. And I I don't think anybody that is a front-end developer needs to know this stuff like in and out because you can go all in and fully DevOps and (laughs) you can go deep. It's DevOps. (laughs) (laughs) you can go deep with this stuff. And I think if you're, if you're the type of person that wants to do react, wants to do front end, that's probably a little bit overkill, but just knowing how to set up a basic site on a host, like with some really, really simple a records and how that site gets accessed um, can just come in handy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If you don't want to deploy everything on Netlify where you have to think about none of that. (laughs) You still have to think about some of it if you're setting up a custom domain on Netlify. So, mm-hmm. yeah, if you haven't already started a bad habit, start buying up some domain names and then just figure <laughs> out how to get a, <laughs> a hosting server to point at them. Oh my it's God. like a rite of passage for every web developer. It is. And I still hold my breath every time I change those things and hope mm. that it works correctly. <laughs> and this is when you get like all those little ten dollar hosting you know or dns bills or whatever or you know at the end of the year you get like a three hundred dollar domain name (laughs) renewal thing you're like oh right yeah fantastic those are the bad decisions i made coming back to get me yeah i registered my my kids names as domain like dot com domain names years ago Mm -hmm. and i I, like it seemed like a cool idea at the time but i've never really done anything (laughs) with them and i still pay the bill every year when it comes yeah. in and oh, yeah. starting to really question why mm-hmm. i even did this at all but <laughs> don't feel bad i pay my daughter's like six dollar a month like minecraft host thing oh yeah i pay that too <laughs> and i don't think she's used it in like six months so and, and whenever i whenever i say hey can we get rid of this? She's, no, 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 no. Like, yeah. You, you, uh, haven't used yeah. this in once. So back on the DevOps thing, I would say, yeah, definitely know some, at least some serverless, like have, have deployed something, you know, in the serverless model, but also understand, but also spend a little bit of time understanding like Docker. Cause I think Docker is still mm-hmm. super vibrant out there. Yes. And in fact, actually, I think like Docker just came out with something in the, the CICD space. I want to say uh, called Dagger. Um, which is basically, oh yeah, it's really cool. It's actually like, well, you know how like every CICD is different. Like GitHub CICD is one thing and then GitLab CICD is something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dagger is basically trying to unify that. Like you have a CICD, you can run it locally. Whoa. And then you, you know, then, (laughs) then you put the Dagger configuration up on whatever host Dagger, I guess. And there you go. Now you're, you know, and, and so you can actually test 
your CICD without having like the the whole host. Oh my god, the check in list of like now I'm trying this value, now I'm trying that value, and like fail, 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 fail. You know, like and finally get the, the green light. You're like yes, yeah. I think I just saw a conference talk on some work Visual Studio Code is doing to try to make Docker because they have really good mm. Docker integration now. Mm-hmm. And they're doing more to try to make it simple so that you can set up a repository with just like little configs and then VS Code will take care of everything else, like setting up your whole environment. It's it's based off Docker. So that's what they're using under the hood. But they're trying to make the whole part the part of setting it up, like the whole Docker container specification, which is in a, a little bit of an ugly mess. They're trying to help clean that up a little bit. So it's getting easier and easier to set up that sort of stuff. And it's becoming approachable for people like us even to <laughs> dip our toes into it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I love Docker when it works. Setting up <laughs> Docker containers is not fun. And it's yeah. not something that I'm very good at. But when somebody else has done it for me and it just exactly. Works, <laughs> I like that. Yeah, when you got on, get onto a project and they've got like a Docker deve- development set up, so you don't actually have to do all of the, you know, the, the DB install and blah 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 blah. It's just like, okay, just hit Docker and there you go, you're good. Yep. It's really nice. The last thing, uh, just before we we move on to the next one, so I've said DNS and HTTP, but I think along with that, I would also include caching, which was part of HTTP. Oh. Yeah, which is can get a little bit hairy. But if you really know how those HTTP headers work, it can get you out of a lot of confusing bugs that you're almost guaranteed to run into. Like, why is my CDN holding on to this? Why am I still seeing the old value? It's pretty much a certainty you'll hit that at some point in your career. So uh, just knowing the basics of how some of those cache headers work and how to use the browser tools to read them can mm-hmm. can be super valuable as well. I'm going I'm to pull up TJ. TJ, what is a CDN? Yeah, <laughs> content delivery network, right? Yeah. Uh, a distribution yeah. or delivery, whichever. Distribute, yeah, I get tied up. But basically, it's like somebody else's server that's... CDNs are specifically designed to distribute static assets, or at least they usually are. So it's yeah. oftentimes a place where you host your HTML, your JavaScript, your CSS on a server that's carefully constructed to deliver those things super fast. Mm-hmm. And normally, those types of sites put cache headers that last a very long time. Like part of the whole reason that we're using them is you want users to get stuff fast. So usually you want to cache those values and they have some way of busting the cache by like changing a version number in in the URL or something. Mm -hmm. But things do go wrong with those processes, even if you're using tools like that. And so knowing a little bit about how all that works, or at least like, I, I can't remember the syntax myself, but I've dealt with it enough that I know like the things to Google and the things to kind of look for, which honestly, for a lot of what we're talking about this entire episode, that's really the, the depth of understanding we're kind of talking about is mm-hmm. oh, yeah. Yeah. a lot of this stuff you don't have to like have memorized. If you ask, like, put me in an interview question right now and ask me like all the HTTP headers and what they do, I couldn't do it, but no. I could like, find around Google, like know roughly where to look in the dev tools to kind of poke around uh, at it. And I think that's kind of the depth of understanding. It probably is worth striving for. Hi, this is Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And lately I've been coaching some people on starting some podcasts and in some cases, just taking their career to the next level. You know, whether you're beginner going to intermediate, intermediate going to advanced, whether you're trying to get noticed in the community or go freelance, 
I've been helping these folks figure out how to get in front of people, how to build relationships and how to build their careers and max out and, and just go to the next level. So if you're interested in talking to me and having me help you go to the next level, go to topendevs.com slash coaching. I will give you a one hour free session where we can figure out what you're trying to do, where you're trying to go and figure out what the next steps are. And then from there, we can figure out how to get you to the place you want to go. So once again, that's topendevs.com slash coaching. Paige and I were talking about this before the show. And like, I was like, oh my gosh, like the really good engineers I've worked with in the past always have like a notebook, like actually a physical notebook or some sort of way or or, an, or virtual notebook uh, where they, when they research something like this, they just keep notes on it. Cause you know, you forget, right? Oh, I'm going to look into cash you know, the, you know, whatever cash values for HTTP and, you know, I'm going to come to this understanding of it, but like later on you're going, Oh, do I need to relearn all that? Well, at least, you know, you've got this thing that you can go to. So I, I strongly recommend doing that. Not that I do that all my, or, myself all the time. Well, or you could make YouTube videos on it. I mean, that also <laughs> works too. <laughs> oh my God. I do. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. Or write blog posts, right? Like it's, right. it's amazing how much, I, I have quite literally referenced blog posts I've written years ago because it was something I ran into, completely forgot the details and looked it back up. So yeah, it, you know, whatever medium that works best for you, paper, pencil or something. Including medium. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. But that's a great idea. Oh my gosh. That's like, yeah, we, we, we've talked so many times on these episodes about how, you know, get your name out there, get, get some blog posts. Mm-hmm. It's a brilliant idea. I've I mean, seen some people... <laughs> well, that's where I get a lot of my my best blog posts that I write about is just stuff that I've had to learn at work. And then I'll just take a quick note of it in a, a Word document that I keep on my phone of like new blogs to write in the future at some point. <laughs> that's all it is. <laughs> and if you if you don't want to turn something into a fully a full, like complete like blog post there, there's other places you can put them for just quick notes. I've used uh gist uh, GitHub's gist mm-hmm. G I S T yeah. for quick little things, because those are searchable in the future and uh, you can make them public. So if you put out a little tip and you like, like, Hey, I think other people could benefit from this. You can make it public. Other people might find it and use it too. Totally. And if you want it to be private, then you can all of it, you know, there's a simple button. So mm-hmm. And I've been seeing a lot of code pens lately when I search for mm. like oh, very that's specific good idea. things. It seems like a lot of people are making really nice little example code pens of stuff that seems like it or stuff that probably is covered in documentation somewhere. But also you want to take it that one step further to do, you know, X, Y, Z that's slightly different. And that's been quite helpful just being able to fiddle around in those and test things out and try them. So good on you people who are actually putting up those examples <laughs> <laughs> and good on you people to do that and also put those on their resumes because man there's nothing mm. i like more in a resume than like some code i can click on and go to and just see i don't want to go to your github i don't want to go in or i well i will go to your github but i'm not going to go and clone your repo but no. code sandbox boy you know that because it runs it runs right there you know you want to show me show me some cool stuff show me some cool mm-hmm. stuff or like, it doesn't and that tells me all I need to know. Well, about. that's the thing. I mean, a lot of these things rot, right? Like <laughs> they do. You know. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Especially the <laughs> the bleeding edge stuff. Yeah. <laughs> that's the worst though. I've been in in the uh Svelte documentation a good bit lately. <laughs> and there's there's tons of it, which is great. I'm really happy that Svelte is so thorough, but there are 
a few things that have broken. So you look at the console of the Spelt demo and it's like, I can't find this thing. And you're like, well, crap, how do I find it if this Spelt demo doesn't know how to do it? Right. Either? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, Spelt, uh, Paige, are you on the uh, list for the next one or shall I jump in? Go ahead and jump in, Jack. Okay, all right. So I would say the next one I would look into is API styles. So there's GraphQL, yeah. mm-hmm. there's REST. I mean, yeah. in some ways there's gRPC and TRBC. Well, TRBC is its own thing. And then gRPC, you know, and then so I, mean, I guess WebSockets as well. You know, just I have seen like I get a lot of questions from beginning developers. And sometimes the frameworks, particularly Next, can kind of hide the fact that there is this differentiation between the server and the client. Mm-hmm. And those aren't the same thing. And they'll get into this notion of like, well, there's no, like, the, the state is automatically synchronized. It's like, no, that's not how that works. You're not on a desktop app. You know, you're on a client server app. And so understanding the different protocols, REST, the different flavors of REST, GraphQL, I think is, again, fantastic. And then if you want something in between those two, like TRPC, if you're in a, in a TypeScript, is great. Although you don't need to use TypeScript. You know, it, it just creates a REST API. So you can still use that stuff. But if you're on TypeScript, it's just better. <laughs> uh, and then if you're in a world of you know, me- media and gaming, you know, the, the, you definitely get some gRPC as well, device control. So there's a, mm-hmm. kind of a little subgenre there. But uh, if you're going to learn too, I'd for sure learn REST and GraphQL. Yeah, and I feel like even at bigger organizations, it's pretty common for front-end people to get involved with the API design because oftentimes mm. front-end will know how the data is actually going to be used. And so yeah. it's important to have some like constructive feedback in terms of how you want the data to come back, how you want to send the data. So if you know the basics of how the backend is structured ideally or how APIs can be best reused, it can be mm-hmm. very, very useful. Well, and if nothing else... Being able to understand how to set up a server in JavaScript, like a Node.js server of some sort, is going to very likely be beneficial to you. Because yes, there is Next.js, which kind of does it for you, but pretty much any other front-end framework that you pick up, whether it's React or Svelte or something else, you're going to need to fetch data from an API. And the the tried and true method of that is through a Node.js server with Express or Happy or one of the many <laughs> backend frameworks running on it. But knowing up how to set up those routes and actually connect to that API in a safe fashion where you're hiding keys and secrets and things that should not be sent on the client side or visible to clients is really important. <laughs> Yeah. And also, I guess that kind of gets you into the world of, mon- of monorepos, because mm-hmm. oftentimes in when you have that, when you have like you've got your next app or your create react app or whatever, or your Svelte app, you know, and they're talking to an API, but that API isn't part of, the, of that project. Then you have it have it in the same repo. Right. But in a different directory, a different project. And then understanding all the mechanics of like, OK, so if I want to just run it. Then, you know, making sure that all both the projects get compiled and both the projects get run. They're on different ports, you know, and so that they can there are connect no to each issues. other. And, <laughs> and no core, yes, there's no cores issues. Exactly. Even on localhost. Yeah. yeah, definitely. <laughs> well, and that kind of ties into another one, which is not only knowing how to at least interact and kind of find your way around backend applications or pieces of an application, but also to know how to interact with databases. 
mm-hmm. it could be no SQL databases. So it could be MongoDB, which seems to be everybody's favorite if you're a JavaScript developer, or it could be SQL databases. So MySQL, Postgres, um, you know, the list goes on. There's a million of them at this point, but just knowing how to, to connect to them, set them up, write queries for them, use an ORM if you want to, which will basically write your queries for you. Those are all things that you're probably going to need need to do at some point or another, or at least want to know how to do when faced with something like that. Certainly. And knowing which types to use, like when you want to use a relational database, when you want to use a document object database, you know, with what the advantages and disadvantages are of each. You know, there's no one true winner. That's why we still have both, you know, Mongo and Firestore. And then on the other hand, we have Oracle and all that. It's definitely handy. I I have to admit to being like, I try to avoid databases like the plague. That's one (laughs) career decision. It's one of the reasons I went into front end development is my brief forays with databases were not fun times. But I have to admit that knowing knowing the basics of how to throw together an SQL query or whatever, it's going to come in handy. Even for debugging, I'm looking into a front end issue. It's like, crap, is is this my problem or is the data underlying data bad? I might have to go into the database, run a quick where clause, get back things and compare it to what I'm seeing to kind mm-hmm. of differentiate. So having those skills, even if you don't know the the, the in-depth bits of, of how a database works, I, I have to admit is kind of handy to have. Mm-hmm. It kind of, I guess, TJ, that kind of goes along with what we were talking about, like on the HTTP side, like understanding the entire chain from your up on the UI all the way through either the rest or the GraphQL, actually back to the database or back to some microservice or whatever, and being able to like put in a probe at each one of those levels, like, hey, is that number right? You know, coming out of the microservice, or, okay, because it's not it's not right in the UI, so it's got to be yeah. somewhere in exactly. between those three and be able, being able to poke in there and debug. It's kind of like, you know, being able to fix your car. It's like, you know, smart plugs. Is it uh, run out of gas? Well, is this something I could, yeah, is this something I can fix myself or like, (laughs) or or in which shop do I take it to? Right. Like that's the other thing too, because I got to figure out if I know this is a database issue, well, maybe I have like database people at my company or whatever. Right. Versus I don't want to annoy them if it's not that problem and whatnot. Which Slack channel do I put this in? Because I mean, yes. you don't want to get the, the microservice <laughs> uh, guys going, nah, looks fine to me. Looks good on that's my the, machine. Yeah, that's like the 2020, 2020s version of that phrase, <laughs> <laughs> right? Which Slack channel? <laughs> or if you're unlucky, which Teams channel? Oh, my God. <laughs> or Discord? <laughs> no, Discord's great. I love Discord. Discord, if you're lucky. Oh, Teams, I can't even. <laughs> so I can take the next one, and that is sure. Git, or just source yes. control. Maybe you're using something yes. else. Yes. Oh my I, God. Yes. I feel like that's another one that a lot of us have a love hate relationship with. But yeah. Git is sort of it's a tool that you almost use basically every day as a developer. You probably should be using every day if <laughs> if you're not. And yeah, it's, it's once again like you can almost have an entire career on Git because you can get in the weeds at some point, but Mm-hmm. knowing how to do things that are like one step beyond the basics, like how to do rebases, for example, uh, how to undo your work, how to like cherry pick, how to move things around branches, having a basic understanding of what's going on under the hood can be 
super valuable. You learn how to like save off your work, how to keep other people in touch of what you like, how to collaborate most effectively, uh, how to keep things from getting like in the way, how to knowing how to integrate changes, like deal with merge conflicts, Mm -hmm. uh, coming up with a workflow you're comfortable with and that's consistent at your company. Like all of those things I feel like are, are super important and valuable. And it's another one of those two that like, it's probably worth investing. This this will kind of t- flow in with what we talked about with CSS, but it's worth understanding what's actually happening versus like, oh, hey, this worked. Let me just move on with my day. But like <laughs> knowing like if something didn't work, right? Like trying to figure out why it didn't and learn what you need to do in the workflows. You because those sort understanding those sort of things will come in beneficial if you do truly like rock how. Uh, these processes work and don't just accept like, well, the right thing happened. So let me just move on with my life and get back to the next year issue or whatever. Yeah, that's weird, though, because I like I've done the actual like I'm going to spend a week figuring out Git thing in my life before and then just 100 percent. Well, not 100 percent, but like 95 percent lost all of that knowledge. And yeah, it's so tough. Like some yeah. it's very, very uh, environment specific, like, you know, some. Some work environments I've been in really push Git. Like they, you know, there's lots of branches and there's whole conversations about branching strategy and, and naming. merging and naming mm-hmm. and, you know, all of that. And then yeah. another company is just kind of like, everybody checks the domain, let's go. And, you know, it's like, <laughs> whatever, push yeah. To push to Push to broad. <laughs> Woo, yeah, let's go. Uh, I mean, I think like with any of these tips, like, you want to be learning stuff that you either are a interested in or b have a need at work. Like mm. oh, that's yeah. the stuff. That's the stuff that's going to stick because mm-hmm. you don't want to like. I, I wouldn't recommend going to the Git documentation and looking all the commands and just like oh. reading through them sequentially. You'll you'll hate yourself within like. But by the time you get ten percent down the list, but it's more that if your company has a process like, oh hey, we we rebase, we do interactive rebases before we merge, right? Like, well. If that's part of your work process, then it's probably worth knowing how that works and how to do those really, really well and understanding the process. But mm-hmm. I wouldn't go out learning Git commands just to do it. Like, make sure you have some some reason for going down that path. Yeah, I know about a handful of Git commands off the top of my head, and they're the ones that I use every day. Like, I don't rebase very yeah. often, so I always have to go look that up. I don't reset heads very often, so I have to go look up that syntax. I don't change repo origins very frequently. So all that stuff that you do once in a while, maybe it's good to write down a note about it so future you can thank past you <laughs> again. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, but there's only I'll, a handful. <laughs> I'll point out, though, like you knew what to say there, right? Like you knew what to Google, yes. you knew what to look up. And that's really like the key to all of what we're talking about, because I don't know half of that stuff either, right? I, I like I don't know who has that in depth of a memory that they're remembering the specifics. <laughs> but if you've done it before and you like either have notes or you just have some bit of a memory of what where to go and what to do, I, I yeah. it can be extremely valuable. Yeah. And yeah. another one that kind of is along the same lines, TJ, is learning a little bit about the command line because you're oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. terminals. And I took when I actually had a, the opportunity at my last company to take like a week long command line in-depth tutoring thing where it was a whole classroom full of us just learning all about bash and shell scripts and all that good stuff. And That's it awesome. was 
it was super helpful. And then I went back to my regular team and forgot <laughs> probably 75% of it, even though I've taken great notes, which I can refer back to. But <laughs> nice. honestly, knowing how or knowing where to look to go to write shell scripts or do things along the command line in the future is is beneficial. Knowing how to copy things, how to print out what's in a file, how to move a file or make a folder. Those are those are good things to know how to do. Because VS Code is great, but you got to start with something for VS Code to open up before you can get to that. <laughs> it's also amazing what you can automate with those sorts of scripts as well. Because um, the I, I've had to do this a couple of different times. Like if you know the syntax for like actual bash scripting, it's incredibly powerful, but it's also like a syntactical nightmare. Oh, like, it's, yes. it's line noise. It's, it's, line, it's, 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 uh, yeah. it's chaos, but there are some tools that allow you, like, if you just know how to run, like, write a node script, and there, there are tools in Node that let you just execute arbitrary, like, shell commands. So you could do that and automate some processes that would take a long time to do manually. I've, I've done that sort of before where, like, I need to, like, uh, move some files around or I need to do some image processing on a set of images that I was working with. And I found a little script that would do what I wanted that kept me from like having to manually touch each image. Mm. And I just like wrote a loop that's like brought in each file and like ran that command line thing and ran it on the thousand images or whatever that saved me from having to just like, it honestly would save me just the monotony more than anything. I probably spent more time writing the stupid script than it would have oh, yeah. taken me to change all the images, but oh, at no, least I didn't no, have no, 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 there's definitely like, there's a, these cutoffs of like, right. you know, 10 yeah. files, I'll do it by hand, hundred <laughs> files, thousand mm, files. No. Yeah. We're doing like, a script. Well, it was working on Pokemon image files. So I know ah! for a fact it was around, it was around 800 at the time. 808. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> I think I know exactly that Pokemon DB, by the way. And it's, it's grown. Yeah. My, my daughter yeah. tells me that there's many new expansion packs to be Is had. Is it the API that everybody likes to use for demos and stuff? If it's the same one, it's like 800 and something. <laughs> my, my, my copy is 808 because there's all these like, some of the, the characters have like special, special names like Nidoran with a little male symbol on it or something. And I, I just scrape those out because I'm like, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with you, you deviating coding stuff. Whatever. <laughs> goodbye. You know, goodbye, Nidoran. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> there there is an api there are yeah. uh, github repos that have <laughs> that people have graciously put out like a lot of work to put images of all of these together and i found one of these images because i want to get into the stupid domain names i have a domain name that i use <laughs> i've registered <laughs> for doing this oh my <laughs> but, god but anyways i I have all these images, but I needed them to work slightly differently. And I can't even remember that this was several years ago. So I can't even remember the exact problem. But I was like, oh, these images are so close to what I need, but I just need to tweak them this little bit. And so I ended up writing a script to do it. And yeah, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe save time, maybe didn't. But in any case, I, I learned something new. Right. It was fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if, if memory serves that, that API is awful, by the way. It's like the worst of rest. Like, yeah yeah because like in order to get like like if you search by name 
Then you get a response back that just has the ID and then the name. And then you have to make subsequent. And you're like, well, well, yeah, but I want to show like the hit points or whatever. And you're like, no, no, no. You've got to make like a request for every one of those to get the hit points. And so, no, it's, the, it's like the worst. It's like oh. it's just rested. It's most evil and terrible. Well, see, because you know API design, you you get right? you know, there. You go. Yeah. It, like this whole episode is yeah. coming around. Yeah. Right? Well, that's why I, I, I'm not. That's what that's what he did. With his, his shell script is right. Write better ones. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's why I ditched the. I'm not using the API itself, but I am using the underlying images which were provided because the images themselves are great. Oh yeah, and then they make for awesome like thumbnails and stuff. Like mm-hmm. you know, oh look at this. Yes. You know. Yeah, um, I like the movie database API for the same reason. <clears throat> like I pull out yeah. all the movie yes. poster images. It's great for demo apps. Looks great. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's true. That's that that is better than Pokemon for sure. Actually, yeah. So I will say for those of you at home playing the home game, if you're on Windows, use the Windows subsystem for Linux, yes. and then you get access to like all the good shell scripting stuff. And you know, because you you don't want to automate. I mean, I know that there are folks that do like PowerShell automation on Windows, and it's like, yo, I mean, this is nasty. I mean, I. I Okay, fine. I'm sure PowerShell fans are good. It, that's, that's the thing. Let's bring this all the way around. Jump in the Discord channel. Tell me I'm terrible for tell, saying that that PowerShell scripting is terrible. That Windows is just terrible for development in general. Yeah. Uh, I, will, I will go that no. far. Yeah, no. no. That, and there's the line. <laughs> there it is. Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm with Paige, actually, but but that's fine. You know, no, Windows is not that bad. But the window, the Linux subsystem <laughs> makes it a lot oh, yes, easier to true. work with. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Would you have any more, or do we want to do picks? Because this has been this has been great. I mean, I I could riff on this for hours. Hmm? No more. Going once, going twice. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, I think that brings us around to picks time. Hey, folks! If you love this podcast and would like to support the show, or if you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. So let's see. So let's start with TJ this week. Sure. So I'm going to pick, uh, I'm going to keep a running theme going, but I'm going to pick uh, <laughs> There's Only Murders in the Building Season 2, oh. <laughs> which by the time this comes out, you'll be able to binge the whole Season 2. I made the grave mistake of starting the show when 9 out of 10 episodes were released. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> which was just a a tragic mistake <laughs> that I, but I oh, binged, I binged the whole thing. And then I went to like, it, you know, of course the one before episode li- ends at a cliffhanger. So then I go of to course. like hit, hit the next button. And then it slowly dawns on me that that's not a next button <laughs> for the last episode. And then I look and it's like, Oh, it's not coming out until next Tuesday. And I'm just, I don't know. I'm devastated, especially for a show like that, right? Because the whole the whole thing is it's just like a somewhat silly comical murder mystery, but it builds on mysteries and intrigue. And uh, but by the time you're listening to this, it'll all be available. So season two is was equally as good as season one. So I recommend it. Nice. Awesome. Okay. Paige? My pick this week is going to be a show as well. It's a show that's been over for ages and ages, but we've been, my husband and I recently have been getting into the Star Trek uh, Mm. theme of things. So we've been watching, we watched Star Trek Next Generation, which was the first two seasons were rough, but. Oh, yeah. Until William Riker gets his beard, nothing (laughs) is good. Nothing is good. Patrick Stewart is great, though. Love Sir Patrick Stewart. 
but we've we've been watching now uh star trek deep space nine which is oh that's good yeah it's spun off of i think next generation and there were a couple of crossover episodes so we've been into that recently and it is much better from the beginning and it's kind of fun because there's a lot more aliens who are just part of the regular cast and uh it's been it's been good so if you've seen looking, it before Sorry, is this your second? Have you seen it before? Is this your second time around, or is this your no? First this time is the first time watching. <gasps> it's on oh. Paramount Plus, so if anybody wants to just binge it, it's all there for the watching in you know in letterbox form, four eighty or seven twenty or whatever. Right, right, in, but, right. Yeah, but it holds up quite well. I will say the the CGI is not the best, but they just made a lot of the stuff themselves, you know, for the sets and everything. So it, they did a pretty good job for what they had to work with at the time. <laughs> I, so, I've still never done the Star Trek. So really, I, yeah, nothing other than the occasional, like some of the newer movies I've seen, but that's about it. Yeah. Never the oh. old shows though. Uh, interesting. Okay. So yeah, the, I love DS9. It's like my, honestly, my favorite of all of them, except for, I guess the, the newest one, the, Strange New Worlds, maybe mm. he's like almost as good. Um, I heard Picard was also good. No, I hated Picard oh, so bad. No. It's so bad. But oh, but oh, back, back to DS Nine for a second. So uh, later on, it gets very it gets very serial. Like later in the series, and that's that's when it starts getting really really good. Yeah. Um. But there's this one episode, and it's like, um, between Cisco and his son, and it, you'll you'll see it when it starts. Like they they build this like solar sailor together. And you will be crying your eyes out at the end of that show. It was it will kill you. I mean, I I, I I cry every time I watch it, and I love it, but I cry so hard every time I see it. Have you, have you seen it yet? Yes, actually, we just oh. watched that one the other day, a couple of days ago. Doesn't that just? Oh my god! Yeah, oh. it really yeah. gets you. It really <laughs> All does. the deals. Oh, the, everyone, everyone. Okay. I'm kind of bummed you didn't do a cooking recommendation because your your oil <laughs> recommendation from last week was so good. And thank you so much for that. I totally rocked. My recommendation, I guess I'll, I'll fall on a trend here. My recommendation for this week is a movie on Netflix uh, called Day Shift. It has, um, let's see, uh, Jamie Foxx, Snoop Dogg. Yep. And it's uh, a vampire horror comedy. But I'm a huge fight movie fan like like martial arts fan like mm-hmm. it's not the violence that gets me it's the it's this the sheer acrobatics of it and 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 watching it is like whoa like yeah. the wire work and all that and when it's done really well it's done really well and this movie is that i mean this movie is kind of like a combination of like john wick and like the raid this is a very weird kind of like malaysian movie called the raid from years ago where like just just awesome fighting if you just want to like see I think there's like YouTube, like best of moments in the raid and the, the fights are just insane. But like, I've never seen anything like this. Like this, like a combination of John Wick plus parkour fighting <laughs> styles. And it is so nuts. And then it's kind of good. I mean, from a comedy, it's also got some good comedy moments and things like that. But it, anyway, yeah, my daughter and I just fired it up. Like we were just like, we literally hit the button. Like you never hit on Netflix, which is like the play something, play anything button. Because oh, yeah. I'm doing the dishes. I'm like, okay, we just need something on the TV, play something. And it came up and we were just like instantly glued and it was like done. Oh crap. But it was fun. It's just a fun Saturday afternoon movie. Jamie Foxx nails it. Snoop Dogg nails it. Snoop Dogg is actually better than I've ever seen him before so yeah it's a really good one <laughs> nice all right well this has been super fun i, I 
I think has been super helpful. Certainly things that I have for sure probably gear up on myself. So, mm-hmm. well, thank you guys. It's been an awesome episode. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Absolutely. All right. See you next week. See ya. Bye, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.